0: As the baseball world waits on Shohei Otani's decision, the show must go on. It's hot stove season. Kerry Crowley show back in action, this time with a special episode. Special guest, my friend Roger Munter. He writes the great There Are Giants substack. He joins me, breaking down all things winter meetings, all the news that didn't come out of Nashville this week. We talk Juan Soto to the Yankees. We talk the biggest Giants free agent acquisitions of our lifetimes. Got some fun answers in that one, drop your favorite in the comments section here and a number of other things. Roger breaks down the Rule 5 draft. I talk a little bit about the Giants' approach to free agency if they don't get Otani or Yamamoto. But again, all speculation at this time because we do not have an answer on Shohei Otani's next destination. So as the baseball world waits, we record. Welcome to another edition of The Kerry Crowley Show. Here's Roger.
1: Hello, and welcome to another. K. rodge podcast uh, featuring myself, Roger Munter, as well as my good friend Carrie Crowley, who is just back from the winter meetings. Carrie, I can't wait to hear all of your thrilling tales
0: of the news-packed week in Nashville. How are you doing, Carrie? Doing, doing great. Roger, so good to talk to you again. And uh, well, yeah, news-packed is a great way to put it because. The exact opposite. And I I think that it's a little easier to stomach when the winter meetings are somewhere like San Diego, where you've got a small hotel, Vegas, where there's distractions and other things going on. The Opryland Hotel in Nashville is an absolute circus. We're talking about a three thousand word shopping or three thousand room shopping mall that happens to host the winter meetings. There's like <laughs> seven restaurants in the place. There's four bars, and yet everywhere you turn, you see Jeff Passon. So I don't know how I don't know how the guy does it. There's got to be four of them. The is everywhere. Yeah, it's it's an experience unlike any other, and. I would recommend if you don't have to go, never go to a winter meeting. (laughs) Hey, now, Bruce Bochy lives in Nashville these days. Did did you get to catch up with with Bochy? I was hoping to. I, I really was. But I think he probably... He did the thing where if he's living there, he's not getting a room at the Opryland. He's probably (laughs) shoveled in for his little media availability with the writers, where of course it's all the Rangers writers and then every writer who's ever covered Bruce So you see probably add in 150 baseball writers, Association of America people. And uh, yeah, I, I think he got out of there quickly. The, the man is smart, and uh, he went with his gut to get out of there.
1: <laughs> there you go. He's
0: got a little lake in the back of
1: his property. He goes oh. fishing every day, I'm sure, during the winter. Yeah. Um, you know, okay, so I'm, I'm going to throw a question to you to start us off today. And it's this is inspired by my thinking about, somehow, last night, the moment when I first heard that the Giants had signed Barry Bonds, which in some way is the most not just major impactful, the most astonishing moment in Giants history. I mean, coming like two weeks after Peter McGowan kept the team from going to Tampa Bay and suddenly you get this news that they had signed the biggest star in the game away from the Yankees, which has to be the only time that that's ever going to happen. (laughs) Um, And it was just Like you couldn't, you literally couldn't believe it. I could remember where I was standing when I heard the news. I'm going to guess you don't remember that particular day, (laughs) Carrie. But I do want to ask you, what are the great off-season moments of your Giants fan life? Do you remember any days
0: where it was like, wow, this is so exciting? Oh, yeah. There there are plenty of days like that. And I think one of my earliest memories, and this is going to sound crazy to Giants fans who remember Barry Bonds, but this is kind of my childhood and, and growing up as a Giants fan and reading the San Francisco Chronicle. I remember picking up a Chronicle. I must have been eight or nine years old at the time. And they had signed both Ray Durham and Marquise Grissom on the same day. And the Chronicle had this great spread out where it was like, pictures of both players and i remembered both players from being on other teams and it was like the first moment in my life where i was like the giants are getting these guys how cool (laughs) that i'm gonna go and i think i even bought a ray durham jersey uh that christmas or or for my birthday the following year because i was such a fan at the time uh but that kind of puts into perspective maybe sets the stage for the next 20 plus years (laughs) of life of uh, following the giants through free agencies i mean I, I kind of think if we're talking realistically, Roger, about the biggest free agent moment in maybe my lifetime, it might be Arson Judge is heading to the Giants, or <laughs> the Giants have come to an agreement with Carlos Correa on a thirteen-year, there you go, dollars deal. Like seriously, I the competition is Barry Zito. Johnny Cueto. Johnny Cueto, yeah. I'll tell you, one that I really do remember is Aaron Rowan because I was like, oh, we got Aaron Rowan (laughs) to fire me up, you know? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I,
1: I, so I posed this question to some people today like, who's the second biggest free agent the Giants ever signed? And when I put it out there, I had forgotten about Barry Zito, which I apologize to Barry Zito, but. (laughs) In retrospect,
0: the hype of that moment didn't didn't have a long shelf life, yeah. uh, as it were. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the hype seems to have worn off. Even even if everyone was excited at the time, I think what was it <laughs> seven for one twenty six was the deal for Barry Zito. Something something crazy at the time. I thought I would just absolutely absurd numbers. That was my my gut instinct as like a thirteen year old when the Giants signed Barry Zito was do they overpay for this guy? But <laughs> I I maintain that you can never overpay for someone when you win a World Series title. So that's no. absolutely true. But yeah. the idea of getting a guy who had not long before that
1: won a Cy Young Award, yeah. won an MVP, like, I mean, the Giants don't, Get those guys, historically. We don't have those moments. I remember, so this has gone way, 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 way back before your time. But another really exciting moment for me as like a teenager was the day it was announced that they had traded for Vita Blue. Oh, yeah. That, is, that, know, that I mean, after a decade of just miserable, horrible, selling off every star on the team to actually go out and acquire this amazing talent from across the Bay. It was really exciting. And it's it's you look back on those years, I mean, 78, the year Vita Blue came in, turned out to be the best year they'd had in in half a decade or more. The year they signed Barry Bonds, they go from 72 wins to 103 wins. So I guess my second question to you is the excitement that we fans feel when those kind of moments come, does that translate to the the locker room as well? Because oh. it does seem to 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 pick something up
0: in the in the team. And I think particularly a locker room where guys monitor things because there there are a number of clubhouses around baseball where certain players love baseball. They'll always have MLB Network on at home. They want it 365 days a year. And then there are certain players who are like, yeah, when it's the offseason, I'm watching the NFL or I'm watching nothing to do with sports. The Giants' current leader right now is Logan Webb. And Logan Webb is someone who is truly like – the the phrase gym rat, he is a baseball. Yeah. He is someone who I know is refreshing his phone, waiting to see if they get word that Shohei Otani is coming to the Giants. And if they don't get Otani, he's gonna be refreshing his phone with Yamamoto updates much like Brandon Crawford did throughout his career I mean Brandon Crawford was very invested throughout the off seasons in monitoring who the Giants were interested in and I don't know that he would admit that publicly because he likes to play things pretty coy (laughs) but I know that he had notifications on for people and that he was looking toward who the Giants could get next and I, I really think that this year if they're able to land one of the big fish and Obviously I've stated many times you can't consider the giants a favorite because of their history, but they're still lit on guys. I think that Logan Webb would lead the charge in terms of excitement and, you know, firing up group texts to guys and saying, can you believe we got this guy? How exciting is it going to be? I, I really do think he is that type of a leader who feeds off of the free agent frenzy and kind of the hot stove drama that takes place. I, and I, it just seems to me this team really
1: needs that kind of energy. I was at, I obviously I live in the East coast, so I don't get to go to many, many giants games as I like, uh, but I'll, I'll fly out there and go to see San Jose. And I always go to Oracle. And I remember being there two years ago and something just caught my eye. And I started looking at the dugout and I noticed that I couldn't see any players. There wasn't a single player up on the rail. And I thought back to, you know, Tim Hudson and, Um, You know, the the guys on that team who were really just lived on the rail during games and something of that loss spoke to the
0: loss of energy that was going on in the field at, at the same time, I think yeah absolutely and another player who i would add to that and i know that his role kind of changed a little bit when he had to go prep for pinch hit at bats in the seventh inning or or be a specific you know role player was austin slater when austin slater first came up now he's the longest tenure member of this roster which is crazy (laughs) but when he first came up there were a lot of times he was on the top step of the dugout really excited about getting to play against specific players facing certain pitchers i i remember the genuineness of those moments, and and that's why you know there's the players who you separate their major league debuts from others because it's like the you know the all business I was meant to be here I always expected to be here types, and then there's the yeah they've been training for their their whole lives but oh my goodness I'm like a kid in a candy store. Uh, I, there was one guy a few years ago I think it might have been Ryder Jones who said. I've only faced this picture on MLB, the show. I can't believe I can do this today. And and those are the those are kind of the players you want in the clubhouse. And there's certain things to be said for the business-like mentality, but there's also like some guys grow, grow tired of it. You can't tell me that what we heard about Jock Peterson and playing cards in the clubhouse that he didn't grow tired of it at times. And you yeah. want that young uh, nucleus of players who are excited and energized by someone from the outside and, I think that that is one of the joys of free agency. And so it's not just fans. To, to Long-winded way of answering your question. <laughs> certain <laughs> players get really, really invested in this, Roger. Uh,
1: I just want to point out Austin Slater, a sneaky member of maybe the best draft class of the teens for the Giants 2014 yep. uh, with, with Logan Webb and Austin Slater. And it's so weird to think of them as being part of the same draft class because their careers have been
0: very who, just who out of sync. Actor? first round first round was uh, it Tyler Beattie. Tyler Beattie Tyler beat well he made the majors and um
1: Tyler Beattie uh the second one was um was that the year they got um the catcher um oh Aramis
0: Garcia
1: Aramis Garcia yeah Aramis Garcia. Aramis I believe also- was second round of that year yeah yeah there are a number
0: of guys let's remember some names <laughs> <laughs> I, there's no one i'd rather go through specific draft classes with <laughs> than you uh because you just embarrassed me with your your knowledge so <laughs> uh you know i don't know names are dropping out of my head these days
1: it's I'm not as quick as i used to be well uh, i'll pitch it to you where do you where do you want to go from here carrie
0: what should we talk about today well i, I think we should talk about uh this division that i start to see potentially materializing if the giants don't land an otani or a yamamoto because i think there's a certain segment of fans that are like well you just pivot and you get matt chapman you get blake snell and you trade for someone and you figure out how to get better and then i think there's also a certain segment of fans that are like well wouldn't you rather just see the kids in your system play wouldn't you rather give Luis Matos you know uh, 120 games in center field next year and I'm not saying that it has to be one of those extremes but if they do end up missing out and I don't want to put a damper on the conversation just yet but which way do you lean or are you in on the overspending for upgrades like a a Chapman and and a Bellinger or are you saying you know what let's see what Luciano, Harrison, Schmidt, Matos all have in the same season and go from there? Are you suggesting that the Harrison Bader rumors are not uh, (laughs) lighting up your excitement, O-Meter? Old old, old friend of mine, Harrison Bader. He was on the (laughs) Cape Cod team that I I broadcasted for. Um, Well, I I don't want to
1: not answer your question, but let me sidestep it by asking this question. Once it was clear, and who knows, maybe San Diego doesn't want to deal with having to see Juan Soto 18 times this year or whatever. But once it was clear that that train was rolling, do you think the Giants should have gotten more involved in that? Or could they have gotten more involved in it? Do you think they should have pushed more chips into the table and not let uh,
0: the Yankees sort of steal that, that thunder? Because he's kind of a perfect really guy for them. That's really fascinating because I think the Potters are fine letting Bob Melvin go within the division. I don't think <laughs> A.J. Preller for uh, it's amazing he's hired what his eighth manager now I, I don't think realistically he's keeping his job if Juan Soto goes to the Giants and the Giants are a playoff team in 2024 <laughs> I do think AJ Preller could keep his job if the Padres miss the playoffs next year and the Yankees win the World Series and Juan Soto's the greatest player of all time but I don't see that happening if he goes within the division so uh, it's it's tough because you know, there's a precedent for big time deals between these organizations. Alex Dickerson for Franklin Van Gurp is a needle mover. And, uh, <laughs> and we uh, we tend to forget that. But uh, it just to me, if the, the greatest games, deal in Giants history maybe <laughs> is with the San Diego Padres, you know. I know, I know, but but I still I still love the Dickerson for Van Gurp trade. So that's what I'm gonna reference. It's no um, Mark Davis for uh I don't even know
1: who they got for Mark Davis. Now uh, I think about it.
0: oh but uh but yeah, I I think that I'd love to see a big trade this offseason. I'd love to see a shakeup of the roster, and I wouldn't be I wouldn't mind if the Giants parted with some prospects to get into win now mode, especially because the Potters are taking a step back but I don't think that Soto was ever going to be truly realistic unless the Yankees were just out altogether and weren't willing to part with Michael King. I mean, I guess I'm in the middle because I think
1: by force, the giants are going to play some kids next year, right? They, there's literally not a shortstop on the roster other than Marco Luciano and and Tyler Fitzgerald. Right. So, and I don't know that that's going to be changed. They, they, Kyle Harrison is going to be part of this team. They are going to play the kids, but they're not going to turn it into Sacramento West, which by the way, if you looked at Sacramento's win-loss record uh, the last couple of years, that's not something that's going to fill the house either. (laughs) (laughs) I think, so I was having this this conversation with somebody regarding the Soto deal, although I agree with you that it's like, that's not going to happen. That wasn't ever going to happen probably. But I do think if something like that came up it would be worth being bold and maybe uncautious to go after because the question really sits out there did we see the start of a young core last year or did we see just a lot of guys who come to the majors which happens all the time everywhere i mean just because you have a bunch of young guys finally come up to the majors it doesn't mean you have a young core young cores are pretty rare. And you have to be able to separate. I mean, this is what makes a good front office. How do you separate the guys you can move from the guys you have to keep? I don't think they have to keep all of these guys. So being bold in their strategy seems to me like what this moment needs. But we're going to necessarily see some combination of hopefully star talent and young players next year, no matter what happens. I don't
0: see a way around that. No, I I totally agree. I completely agree. And it means that you know whatever happens after the otani domino falls is still really really important for the giants and i think that there's going to be a lot of different moves to consider a lot of different trades to to map out because the rest of the industry is going to figure out you know look once otani's off the board there are a number of teams that are going to say hey look we know that the dodgers the Blue Jays, the Giants, the Cubs, they were all willing to take on salary this offseason. So what can we get in return for players who we want to part with for salary? So what what do the Corbin Burns and the Tyler Glass now? Right. What do they look like? And to me, what you just said is, you know, the Giants have to make deals that, you know, may not be as cautious. And I totally agree. I think you've got to bring in someone, whether it's spending $300 million in free agency on Yamamoto or spending $25 million next year on Glassnow and giving up a few prospects to pair with Logan Webb and to make one area of the team uh, your strong suit, your calling card, an area that you can hang your hat on. And it, to me, the easiest way to do that is to go get a pitcher, go get an ace to pair with Logan Webb, mm-hmm. but you're also still going to have to supplement a lineup that, I think we can all agree was just brutal to watch in august and september
1: oh my god uh, it was but to, to go back to the prior point one reason why the offense was so brutal to watch last july august was that it was so full of rookies yeah and you had at one point in july for several weeks in a row at the bottom half of the lineup like five through nine was all rookies who were getting taught some lessons by by the majors that's when the offense started to to tank so i think people who say let the kids play are, are there's some selective amnesia uh going on in, in some minds there um i think i really feel like I, I have never thought otani was to the giants was a likely outcome yeah i've never thought that i don't think that i just think the dodgers make a lot more sense as sad as that is to say yamamoto is really kind of a linchpin for me because yeah. if you can Create a dominant front of your rotation for a long time, and that's where he really separates from a Corbin Burns or Tyler Glasnow. Tyler knows kind of another Carlos Rodon, you know, a guy who's twenty innings yeah.
0: max. Ooh,
1: yeah. <laughs> um, but but we want to see somebody, and Zaidi said this that's going to be here for a while. We want to see the beginning of a team that's going to last more than one year in an option, and that's really Yamamoto, twenty-five year old ace from Japan with its ridiculous 1.2 ERA for lifetime or whatever it is. Now you say, well, we've got Logan Webb, we've got Yamamoto, we have Kyle Harrison on the way. Okay, that's stuff you can build around. And you you can start filling in some Harrison Bader's at that point, right? Because you've got something to hang your hat on. And that's that's maybe what I think is the most important thing going forward.
0: Yeah, it, it, it has been interesting to see the Harrison Bader chat. <laughs> about because you go through this entire winter meetings week there's so much hype around Oh, all the executives from all 30 teams of baseball are getting together there's reports the Giants are still in on Otani he hasn't made up his mind Dave Roberts does the dance with admitting to the meeting and then Yamamoto's the next big guy And then all of a sudden it's like uh, one year 10 million Harrison Bader platform contract eh, who knows <laughs> you know <laughs> there would be such a howl from from Giants Twitter. I mean,
1: it really got the, the quote that will never die is as much as I love Brian Sabian, the classic uh, Vladimir Guerrero oh. <laughs> sign that we couldn't sign him because we did we couldn't get Jim Brower and, and <laughs> Mike Tucker and, and Ryan Christensen, whoever it was uh, this long list of people who sadly were not very good, which is why that team <laughs> did not make the playoffs.
0: Um yeah, I, I was reading the other day. Speak, speaking of that, I think GPT put this out on, on Twitter, but uh, an old Chronicle post about what Michael Tucker actually cost the Giants. Was not like a first round draft pick? I mean, it was a first round draft, that's draft just, pick. That's unbelievable to me that the teams could operate in that fashion back then. I mean, it was intentionally
1: a first round draft pick because they were reappropriating the money because they had a hard line capped payroll. And they said, we've got to put a competent person out here in the outfield and that's going to cost us a little money. And we have to figure out where to get that money. I will say, and I've taken some heat from various corners on this. I, I think people it's easy to it. Well, at the time it was easy to make fun of that, but The capital outlay for the stadium, I think did have that ownership group in a bind at that time financially. And Peter McGowan has been very upfront over the years that it was his belief that whatever money they had, had to be put into the major league team because they had to get fans into that stadium to, to balance the books, essentially to make it all work out and that was kind of the, the end result of that and you can look back and say it looks pretty stupid which it did but with, unless you got unless you're you're looking at the wallet you don't really know
0: what the constraints they were dealing with was that that is true and and look i will never fault a team for trying and the Giants were trying to win they were trying but i never fault a team for trying which is why you know in retrospect the San Diego Padres season makes me a little bit sad especially knowing what the passing slider oh, yeah. because Man, they tried harder than anyone. They tried, even if some of their ideas massively failed. And they were, you know, AJ Preller and Bob Melvin were apparently not even speaking it by the end of the season, which is just chaotic. But Peter Seidler wanted to win and he wanted to win the city, that franchise. And so I I really won't fault the team for trying. And if you have to keep it within a certain means, I, I get it, you know? You know, it's really
1: a replay of of the last decade's Detroit Tiger story, right? I mean, that team went way beyond whatever their comfort level was because they had an owner who wanted to win before he died, and and once again, it it didn't. Thank you, thank you to San Francisco Giants. He never quite got there, and it's sad when you see someone really invest the resources. It is interesting. One thing I think gets overlooked in some of Greg Johnson's comments is he will frequently say when asked about this kind of behavior that it's not a single ownership, that it's a big group in that ownership. And so you never have the situation where one person could just say, it's important to me to win and I'm going to do what it takes. And that is a different construction from, from Peter Seidler, for instance.
0: Yeah, no, that's definitely true. And I, I never made inroads with giants ownership on the beat, at least the people at the very top of it. Uh, You know, they just, people who didn't want to talk to me. And for good reason, when you're an owner, you're probably wary of journalists. But I didn't <laughs> know a few people who had the smallest stakes in the team. And those people wanted to win. And those people weren't afraid to, uh, to criticize the people who were making some decisions. So it was always funny, because these are the people who arguably are like putting in for their investment, right, it's going to pay off. And the, the, they could oftentimes say some things off the record that would make you think, <laughs> so it's an interesting dynamic when you've got 30 plus owners involved in a club and that's true and it changes
1: over time i think we know that when uh when the elder burns were alive that that different different decisions probably got made from the younger generation um it'll be interesting to see kind of what buster posey's influence yeah. on ownership is too i mean i know his stake is small but i think his voice is probably loud yeah and that should that should affect things going forward. I, I'll now come back to your your original question and say, I think they've got to find a middle road.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: totally, I, like I say, they're going to have kids out there, but they have to compete and try to win. I mean, they just have to do it. And that Arizona team was flawed. It was, was massively before. flawed, yeah. right? They just had to bring a, up
0: the Arizona team, do you?
1: They had a great star, a great young star, but. There were a lot of holes on that team. You can compete uh, with a reasonably talented roster. And I think people will say, well, the Giants aren't close to competing. Forget that they were like in a playoff spot at the start of September. It's not that far away. And you can do it with a couple of big pieces, I think.
0: Yeah, I, I totally agree. A couple big pieces and people who are going to be in the lineup or in the rotation and be dependable because... A lot of the players that they've signed in the zaidi era have been flawed, and one of their flaws has been injuries. You know, Michael Conforto didn't play in the 2022 season. Mitch Haniger's got this track record of injury. Alex Cobb, for as good as he was last season, he's missing the start of next season because he's undergone hip surgery. The guy's on the record about hating surgery. How many how many people in sports get to go on the record <laughs> about how much they hate surgery? That's how detailed Alex Cobb's injury history is, and so. The Diamondbacks are interesting. The Padres are interesting. I; Those are both teams to me that are going to be sitting right around 85, 86 wins. And if the Giants make these improvements, if they commit with the everyday players, with upgrade, we've talked about why Matt Chapman would bring value to the Giants, you're sitting there in that 86, 87, 88 win bucket and giving yourself an opportunity, which is the whole name of the game. You got to get in because we saw what happened the last two years when teams in the wild card got in. So
1: when you talk about Hanniger and Conforto, uh, how much does the fact that Matt Chapman's been dealing with a, with a hand injury the last couple of years or that Cody Bellinger has, you know, this, this uh, shoulder thing in his background, how much do those things weigh on your mind as you start thinking about five, six, eight years to some of the, to some of these guys?
0: Yeah. It's interesting because, I never look at those contracts and maybe this is stupid. Maybe this is just the anti front office in me. I don't look at those eight or 10 year contracts as contracts where you expect to get value in years five through 10 or years six through eight. I look at those as we are committing the years and the money now. And we're going to look at this as an investment for the next three or four seasons, even if it is the contract that throws you underwater seven or eight years from now, because Quite frankly, if you're Farhan Zaidi, you're not going to be the president of baseball operations in the year 2033. And if you are, things have been extraordinary. Things went well. Yeah. So you take that risk if the best player available is someone who, you know, he needs the extra year or the extra $30 million and ownership has greenlighted it. You take that risk to sign them, even if there is a hand issue or a shoulder issue, because it's not going to be your problem if that player doesn't produce, you know, what is going to be your problem is if you don't sign that player and then Luis Matos gets hurt next year, because then what do you do? You know, the, uh, the way I kind
1: of think of it too, is, you know, the the saying player development, that the development's not linear. Uh, Mm -hmm. People go up and down. The same is true of, of, of these big long-term contracts. Those long-term contracts are not linear players don't have linear careers. Brandon Crawford's best year of his long contract was the last one. Brandon belts was the next to the last one, you know, Buster Posey had a, had down years and then good years. Uh, Longoria had down years and then some good years at the end. You're going to get ebb and flows in those contracts too. You just want the whole thing to kind of balance out. Uh, I, I, I was having another conversation the other day is I, I always find it, The Giants fans' views of Mark Melanson's deals uh, (laughs) always strike me as a bit bizarre because I think around the industry, particularly around Atlanta, people think, yeah, it basically was okay in the long run. He gave value. He just gave value at the back end of it. And the Giants and their fans needed it at the front end of it. Yep. And so he had this this stigma attaches to him because he was good at the wrong time in that deal. But he yeah, I mean, Atlanta certainly was happy to have him
0: as he, he helped him to back to back playoff series. So, yeah, and think about how different the Johnny Cueto deal looks if 2016 goes a little different at the back end of the bullpen. You yep. know, if he gets another opportunity in that postseason and he delivers in that postseason, I think people are looking at the six year, $130 million deal and saying, Johnny, it doesn't matter what you give in years three, four, five, and six. What That's you find here, we will take it. You know, it's like Barry Zito. God, that contract was horrible. But, he started one of the most important games in playoff franchise history and he delivered. So it's a good yeah. contract to me. Edgar Renteria shouldn't have been the shortstop in 2010. Like the guy should not have had a job at the end of that season, but it was worth it. You know, it's funny how years later you look at these contracts differently. And I, I don't want to just do a harsh cut in this episode, Roger, but I do have to ask you about a topic that I know you're versed in, and that's the (laughs) Rule 5 and uh, minor league phase of the Rule 5 draft, because I'm sure you've got opinions, and you know that uh, day day four of the winter meetings, when the Rule 5 draft is taking place, is when, I was already out of town, but it's when every beat reporter is too hungover to report, so... Uh, (laughs) untrue of JJ Cooper, who always
1: uh, makes sure he gets a picture taken at the 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 bar early in the week. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, uh, interesting. This year's rule five draft was, was by and large a nothing burger. I think it was the smallest number of players taken in several years. Uh, The pass, pass, pass started very early on. And I don't know what the total amount taken was, but it might've been in single digits, which is pretty low for the last few years. Uh, I think it needs to be pointed out that the Giants' calculation on who need to be protected and who didn't was pretty accurate. They didn't lose guys they left out there. I've had some conversation with scouts about like Kai Wai-Tang, and they're like, you know, Tang's sort of comparable to Jacob Junis, who's probably going to get a two-year deal somewhere. So that made sense. Uh, so I think everything they thought was proved out pretty accurately I've been writing a series here. I'll actually, uh, for once uh, in a long while, pump my own content. I've been writing a series on their Giants recently. We're looking at the rosters, potential rosters for the affiliates next year. And the thing that has jumped out to me very clearly is there aren't enough rostered spots for all the players. And next year, the domestic reserve list maximum is coming down from 180 to 165, which really is going to have legitimate repercussions on how many people clubs can carry. You know, you stick some of them on the 60 day, but it's going to be hard to stay under that number. And there just were some players who did not necessarily fit on rosters very easily. Um, And when I saw Hayden Cantrell and Sean Roby, uh, in particular get selected, I said, yeah, I, I was looking at that Richmond roster and it's hard to fit the infielders on there. The guys coming up and the guys who aren't quite ready to go to Sacramento just created a log jam where it made sense that maybe the giants weren't protecting some of these players um, who have one floor or another. Uh, Sean Roby is a kid I absolutely love and yeah. his power is gargantuan uh he unfortunately he he set the record for home runs in in a season in richmond on july 4th (laughs) it's just incredible (laughs) to think (laughs) about july 4th of 2022 unfortunately he was he's been injured almost since that time uh one thing or another uh uh, ankle injury that lasted through the through the winter last year so he's kind of struggled to get on the field um So I I was not surprised to see them lose the players they did. I know that they have roster crunches coming. They picked up a couple of interesting guys, however. And the really interesting one was this kid, Dario Lopez from from Pittsburgh, um, who really looks like he can hit. Uh, He had unfortunately missed all of 2023 after dislocating his knee. Ouch. Um, But he's a kid that they spent... I think $400,000 on in the 2018 international class, which was the same one as Luis Matos and, and Marco Luciano. Um, They pushed him aggressively. So he was in full season ball as a teenager and he showed real power. He hit 19 home runs as a 20 year old in the Sally, uh, you know, high A ball, which is not an easy uh, league to hit in actually. So legitimate power seems to be a pretty good hitter big stocky strong kid and it was really interesting to me looking digging into a little bit that he is a guy who is not a real good swing decision maker he's a guy who hits the crap out of the ball and I look at that and I'm like well that's interesting because Giants amateur acquisitions have been much more towards good strike zone discipline good swing decisions uh, but I know there are also a lot of voices in the organization who are starting to emphasize strength. You hear this off a lot about Giants players these days. He needs to get stronger. This is a kid who's pretty strong. And it's interesting to me that that was sort of the element of his game that I think they seized on, not necessarily the the, the swing take part. And maybe you're seeing some kind of uh, priority shifting in the background
0: in, in that pick. So I'm going to really be interested to follow him uh, in the coming year. Yeah, definitely. I I was sad. poor one out for Sean Roby because I've followed his career since the beginning. Love the power. And uh, I don't know. I still feel like the major leagues are within reach for him one day if if things go right in, in the Marlins organization. I actually think he found a good place to go, too,
1: because that's an organization that has really struggled to develop hitting and is desperate for. I mean, the thing he does is hits balls a country mile. Um, it's, you know, there's been a lot of contact issues and, and the batting average has been low. Um, but boy, you throw, you hang a slider in front of Sean Roby and it is going to go places that were hitherto unexplored by a baseball, um, My friend, my friend Trey Wilson said, "You know, windshields of Richmond are happy." I saw that. That that was great. That he's somewhere else, Um, and I agree with you. There's a chance he can he can succeed with the Marlins, and I I hope he does. I I just don't know where the playing time is going to be for him in Richmond this
0: year, and I think that's why they left him exposed. Well, if if I know anything about the way that uh, baseball works and minor acquisitions work, uh, that was Gabe Kapler's first move as the Marlins' assistant. Always well, take favorite from the previous organization. Assistant GMs have a little more sway over the minor leagues. Gabe Kaffer's fingerprints all over the Sean Robey move. And uh, that's good going on in the coming years.
1: Well, that is why I had put out there that I was really watching the fourth pick of the draft with the Chicago White Sox, because I thought with Brian Bannister there now, wow. they were an interesting team that may be interested in RJ Dabovich, who a lot of Giants officials are really excited about, but is coming off hip surgery and uh, a couple of years where he struggled to throw strikes because of a hip impingement. Bannister would be the guy who kind of knew where he was in his rehab and also would be really excited about his pit shapes. Uh, but they went a different direction with the lefty from Boston who was a very popular, he was a guy who was really buzzy. Yeah. Uh, and once they'd done that, they filled the roster. So they didn't have another pick, uh, which is great because that means we get to keep RJ and, and uh, hopefully he is healthy this year and, and ready to participate in the bullpen.
0: Yeah, something to keep in mind, AL Central, the uh, the White Sox have the Giants former pitching coach and Ethan Ethan Katz and now Brian Bannister. The Guardians have Steven Vogt, Craig Albernez, Kai Correa, all potential trade partners because Scott Harris and, uh, runs the Detroit yeah.
1: operations. There you go. Um... And even oh. Matt Daniels, uh, who was once upon a time the, the, the coordinator of pitching sciences, I think, for the Giants, is now their pitching acquisition specialist. So yeah.
0: <laughs> there's a lot of uh, – there's a lot of stuff going on in the AL Central. Yeah. But keep keep it in mind when the Giants start to make trades this offseason. They're going to be getting uh, Jose Ramirez and Eloy Jimenez. <laughs> Absolutely. To- Absolutely. Uh okay well, I see uh, our
1: our clock is winding down. Do you have is that it or do you have a, a, a last bomb you're going to drop
0: on us uh, from Nashville? No, no last bombs, just glad, you know. I used to do uh what was it? 72 hours in Nashville. 48 is my cap for winter meetings now and I'm thrilled I got out in time.